the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We finish this month of May with the beautiful feast of the visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary to her cousin, St. Elizabeth. Let us take this beautiful feast now to our prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to to guide us through these few moments that we have with the Lord now as we take this time aside away from our duties, uh, away from the anxiety of the things that we have to do and, and, the, and the stress of work and studies and stop now and consider the, the words of the Gospel from St. Luke who no doubt would have gone to speak with the Blessed Mother and get this information. The Gospel says, Mary set out and went as quickly as she could to a town in the hill country of Judah. She went into Zacharias's house and greeted Elizabeth. Now, as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in her womb and the, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She gave a loud cry and said, Of all women, you are the most blessed. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why should I be honored with the visit of the mother of my Lord? For the moment your greeting reached my ears, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Yes, blessed is she who believed that promise made her by the Lord that it would be fulfilled. This is the first part of today's gospel. And no doubt it is a passage that you have meditated and considered many times before. We are told that Mary went with haste. Mary went with haste, meaning that she was very excited. She sensed the urgency of the moment. That trek between Nazareth and where Elizabeth lived was about 130 kilometers. Imagine that, it's quite a distance. The place was called Ein Karim. And Ein Karim, we know, is about eight kilometers northwest of Jerusalem. But Mary went with haste, but that meant that she went with a deep sense of urgency. She was going with a sense of being weighed down by the importance of the moment, because this was a key moment in salvation history. And she just understood very clear, without a doubt, 
from the angel that she would be the mother of God, that she would bear a son, and that this son would have a key role in the salvation of her people. But not only her son would have a key role, but her cousin, Elizabeth, also would have a role. And her cousin, of course, was older. And that role had already begun. That process in the redemption of her people had already begun and had started. She was pregnant. So she thought it was urgent to, to do this divine project together. To go and give her support. And already from the start we see that in any undertaking that we do here for the kingdom of God, it's never alone. We're, we, we don't get saved alone. We, we do it together. We do it with others. And of course, we can imagine pregnancy is obviously difficult at any time in history. It's difficult now. And all the more, I would imagine, then, when all the sanitary and medical infrastructure was presumably absent. In those days, uh, we can imagine women would have given home, given birth at home, but there were ways of doing it, there were traditions that were handed on, but what's clear is that it could not be done alone. A woman could not give birth alone. She needed help. And especially she needed help of other women. And uh, all needed the help in preparing the birth, the birth itself, and after the birth. So Mary too, herself, she would need help afterwards. But right now, she wanted to help her cousin in that. It's, it's really that running out and going to help is a beautiful expression of charity. It's a beautiful expression of the spirit of service. Whenever we meditate on the, this passage of the visitation, we think of charity. We think of service to the others, kindness, warmth, doing things for others. We can picture her arriving at her cousin's place after a long trek and the two women embracing. The image of the New Testament and the, New and the Old Testament embracing together, the two wombs coming together and at the very center of those two wombs is Christ himself uniting the two. Uniting the two testaments. And, and ancient and modern theologians have seen this, this action as indicating the sanctification of John the Baptist himself. That he, at that moment, he was being sanctified. And though he was conceived with original sin like everybody else, but bang, in that moment he was sanctified. St. Ambrose he used, I had trouble translating this, but because it, you know, it's kind of like a word game, but he says, he says, St. Ambrose, you know, 4th century or 5th century, he says, uh, consider the precision and accuracy of each of these words. Elizabeth, Elizabeth was the first to hear the voice. But John was the first in experiencing grace 
because Elizabeth listened according to the faculties of nature, but John, on the other hand, rejoiced because of the mystery. Elizabeth felt the closeness of Mary. John felt that of the Lord. The women, the woman heard the salutation of the woman. So with a W, capital W. The son, John, felt the presence of the son, Jesus, with a capital. And they, the women, proclaim grace. They, the men, living it interiorly, make their mothers take advantage of this gift to such an extent that with a double miracle, both begin to prophesy through the inspiration of their own children. See, it's a, it's a complex uh, scenario there of what's going on inside the wombs, what's going on outside. And of course we know Elizabeth says, she begins to say that this is the mother of my Lord. While Mary sings the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, my Savior. And, well, John too, inside the womb, speaks, but not by words, but by a dance. He dances. St. John Chrysostom says, See how new and how wonderful this mystery is. He has not yet left the, the womb, but he speaks by leaping. He's not yet allowed to cry out, but he makes himself heard by his actions. He must have given her a good kick. You know. He has not yet seen the light, but he points out the sun. That's S-U-N. He did this all in darkness, but he points to the sun. He has not yet been born, and he is keen to act as precursor. The Lord is present, so he cannot contain himself or wait for nature to run its course. He wants to break out of the prison of his mother's womb, and he makes sure he witnesses to the fact that the Savior is about to come. So even before the, even before the, the, you know, the Lord is born, he's already witnessing to the Lord, just by his movements. Later on, he will do so by his words. Naturally, when we think about these two infants in the womb, naturally we think about all the innocent children in their mother's womb right now as we speak all over the world. And maybe they too would love to kick and dance and to be able to come out because they are innocent. And, well... We must, when we think of this also, we must pray for all those who are in danger of not being able to come out safely. They will be the little martyrs that the Lord will sanctify by their own blood. We should pray naturally also for their mothers who are often in very, very dire and difficult, painful situations, and I would imagine also the fathers too. Both end up scarred for life. Well, all three, the child, the mother, the father, and probably anybody involved. But Our Lady responds to this moment, this, this moment 
with the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. And there's a beautiful passage in uh, Pope Benedict's Deus Caritas Est, his encyclical on the meaning of charity, in which he refers, at the, towards the end, he refers to the Magnificat in number 41. It's a beautiful passage. It's really worthwhile reading it as he comments the Magnificat of Our Lady, how she magnifies the Lord and God, her Savior, who has looked upon the lowliness of her handmaid, of his handmaid. He said, in these words, she expresses her whole program of life. She expresses her whole program of life. Not setting herself at the center, but leaving space for God, who is encountered both in prayer and in service of neighbor. Only then does goodness enter the world. Mary's greatness consists in the fact that she wants to magnify the Lord, excuse me, that she wants to magnify God, not herself. She is lowly. Her only desire is to be the handmaid of the Lord. She knows that she will only contribute to the salvation of the world if, rather than carrying out her own projects, she places herself completely at the disposal of God's initiatives. Mary is a woman of hope only because she believes in God's promises and awaits the salvation of Israel can the angel visit her and call her to the decisive service of these promises. It's really, you know, he goes on at length to speak about Mary's loneliness and her ability to serve. And it's really beautiful that she is not there to undertake uh, a simple project of her own. She's not there for herself. She is there really as the handmaid. That's how we discover, describe her. She's the handmaid of the Lord. I'm the handmaid of the Lord. She's there to help. She's there to serve. She's here to serve. And perhaps as we do our prayer this evening, we can ask, you know, to what extent is my life imbued with the spirit of service? Do I really want to serve others? Because indeed, we can say, well, I live charity. I live charity. I don't kill anybody. I don't harm anybody. I don't insult anybody. I don't steal from people. I don't uh, beat them up. Well, good for you. I mean, <laughs> good. But maybe is our charity more expressed in any way, in a, in a more proactive way, in how I can better be there of service, like Mary, who was there to help with Elizabeth, and not only do, am I there to serve, but am I there to serve as they would be served or would want to be served? We should not serve others how we think they should be served, but how, how we think they, they want to be served. Not how we think. All we have to do is make sure that whatever we serve in, there has to be truth, we have to do it in truth and in the good. We can't do it against the, tr against the truth. We have to, when we serve somebody, we have to keep the other person's like, 
have to keep the other person in mind. We have to be refined. We have to be delicate. Like think of the different generations now. Sometimes one generation, let's say the younger generation, has to explain something to an older generation. Like how to use an app. How to use a, a software program. How the computer works. How to use Excel. You know, Some people just don't know how to use it. They, or they, don't, they don't know how to use the latest, the latest Halo app or Halo, Halo app. How this software works. Well, how do you explain that to an older person? We have to do it with a spirit of, of, of charity, with a desire to serve, and never with a, a, a view to humiliate. I heard a story of a guy who was... Um, working in Rome, and he had been working there for some time, and he used to, his job in the center where he was was to clean the pool, right? And he had a big machine where he had to go with the machine to suck up the grungy stuff on the pool, bottom of the pool, right? And then he was leaving, so he had to entrust this job to somebody else. And so he was, he, you know, he had to say, well, look, you're doing it now. i got to explain to you how this machine works. There's certain things you got to know, and you got to put certain things in and stuff. So... So the guy whom he was going to explain how this machine works, it's a big long thing with a, I don't know, with a tube on the end, who knows how. You have to put chemicals in and stuff. And, and the, guy, the guy who is now the new guy said, okay, explain it to me, but look, you know, like I'm a, I'm a professional, like I've been around, you know, so don't talk to me like as though I were a little dumb kid, okay? And uh, like don't, like, don't, like, you know, don't go. Uh, first you got to put... On, oh, oh really? Oh, really? I didn't know that. You have to click on, you know. So, like, sometimes we can think we're serving, but we can end up humiliating the other person by telling them, oh, "By the way, you have to click on." You know, if you wanna, if you want to save the program, click save. You know? And uh, and and people can 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 feel humiliated by that. Very often it happens, you go to YouTube uh, tutorials and they tell you everything that is like the most obvious thing, right? And, uh, and so we supposedly are serving someone and we're not really serving them. We're just showing them somehow that we know more. Or we're treating them like infants. And in the end, they could learn all that stuff from a YouTube tutorial. Does that ever happen? That when you're explaining something, serving somebody in some way, that they're in the back of their head saying, you know what, uh, I could get this from a YouTube tutorial. You know? We have to have a human touch. We have to have this, this care for the other person. Or like, like visiting the sick. I mean, I know today is not the most popular thing to go and visit the sick with COVID and everything like that, you know, with the pandemic, but it is, I presume, a danger. But, you know, there was a time that that's what we did. We went to visit the sick. And I don't mean people sick with COVID, but, you know, maybe an older person who doesn't get any visits. And I know it's hard today, but maybe there are other ways in which we can serve by visiting them. But do I have the savoir faire to know how to visit the sick? Like... Like, or do I say, hi, how's it going? How do you feel? You know, and we ask them 30 times, you know, how you feel? You know, you know, 
well, I don't feel good. I'm sick. I don't feel good. That's, you know, well, we don't have to ask them 30 times, you know. But maybe you can say, what kind of soup do you like? Do you like it with like this or do you like it with onion soup? Do you like the little cheese things in there? Do you like, a, you know, what, can I, what kind of tea can I get you? Do you like the green tea? Do you like the, I don't know. What can I do to cheer up a sick person? And St. Josephus said that in Christ is Passing By. From Mary's visit to Elizabeth, Christians should learn to be caring people. If we have this filial contact with Mary, we won't be able to think just about ourselves and our problems. Selfish personal problems will find no place in our mind. We, we can't think that we're serving and really we're just, you know, doing something somewhat selfish. We can ask Mary now in our prayer as we picture her embracing Elizabeth and saying to her, I'm so happy to see you. Oh, you look wonderful. You, I'll help you with that. Don't you worry about that. I'll take care of getting the water. No problem. I'll get the, I'll get the, the bananas for you. But it's good to, you know, have lots of uh, whatever you have in bananas, uh, you know. We can ask you now, keep me more refined, keep me more delicate, my ability to serve the others as they would like to be served. And some people just want to be kind of left, be left alone, maybe. We have to fine-tune our radar. Keep my antenna fully tuned, clearly tuned. At times, serving others just means gently, carefully listening. Maybe to somebody older, listening to a story that we've heard a million times. Grandparents do that. They tell you a story, when I was young, I remember. And, and they go back to their past, they relive that. And we've heard it, no doubt, many times. And we must not just fake interest, because they, will, they pick this up. It has to be real interest, which is the result of charity, the result of refined desire to, to serve out of love. How do we learn this art? Well, Mary will teach us. Mary will pray for you. That's what Pope Benedict says, you know. He says, Mary is a woman who loves. How could it be otherwise? As a believer who in faith thinks with God's thoughts and wills with God's will, she cannot fail to be a woman who loves. She cannot fail to be a woman who loves. We sense this in her quiet gestures. As recounted by the infancy narratives in the gospel. We see it in the delicacy with which she recognizes the need of the spouses at Cana and makes it known to Jesus. We see it in the humility with which she recedes into the background during Jesus' public life, knowing that the son must establish a new family and that the mother's hour will come only 
with the cross. Which will be Jesus' true hour. And when the disciples flee, Mary will remain beneath the cross. Later at the hour of Pentecost, it will be they who gather around her as they wait for the Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful image of how Mary is there always serving, but at the right, like she's not there like seeking to be the center of attention. She learned how to serve, and, and the visitation is an example of that. She was always fine-tuned to God's will for her and fine-tuned to what the needs of others are. Do I know my, the people who live with me? Do I know their favorite food? Do I know the kind of music they like? Do I know the kind of movies they, they like to watch? The books they like or the, the, the topics they like to discuss? Or am I always just talking about my things and my, my interests? I think that when Mary was with Elizabeth, Mary was not dominating the whole situation, kind of like running the place like a micromanager, right? Saying, you, you sit there, you sit there, you go, okay, no, you don't move. No, no, she was, she was allowing people to do stuff, kind of in the background, but the, the place must have been fully at peace and serene. So we ask her now, well, we ask her for this grace to, to teach us to love by teaching us the real value of service. And many people uh, have established this um, custom that when they wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is they get on their knees and they say, I will serve. They kiss the floor. They say, I will serve today. Okay, how am I going to serve? Well, I'm going to serve in my work. I have to do this well. I'm going to serve uh, by, uh, I don't know, talking to this person, by writing this email. I will serve. I will serve. I will serve. In some way, I will serve others, but in the end, it's our way of serving God. I will serve. If, if our whole life could be encapsulated as a purpose, that would be a good purpose. The purpose is to serve. To serve God and to serve others as they would like to be served. That takes refinement and it takes a, a well-tuned a well uh, ability. Let's ask this of our, our Blessed Mother. She'll intercede for us so that this truly does happen with us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.